0: Welcome to Design Your Life, the podcast where we explore the central role design plays in our everyday lives and how, if harnessed correctly, has the power to positively transform the way that we live, design better businesses and sustainable solutions for the planet. We speak to creative entrepreneurs around the world about how they inspire their ideas to life and how they make it all work and the role design plays in their lives. I'm your host, founder of Frost Collective and author of Design Your Life, Vince Frost.
1: At Frost Collective, we are dedicated to designing a better world. Our specialist teams work across branding, strategy, place visioning and wayfinding, solving problems with empathy and creativity to design experiences that benefit people, business and the planet. And, as a proud certified B Corp, we meet the highest environmental and social standards by balancing profit with our purpose, to design a better world find out more head to frostcollective.com.au.
0: Welcome to this special episode which we recorded in front of a live audience at Paramount House in Sydney just over a week ago. In this episode I interview SJB director and architect Adam Haddow to launch the new brand my team at Frost Collective designed for Eco Outdoor. Eco Outdoor craft and curate exceptionally architectural services and their business is made up of some incredibly smart and passionate individuals. It was an extremely dynamic audience and it was a lot of fun. The conversation covered everything from our work on the new brand to Adam's thoughts on materiality and the importance of human connection. Congratulations to the inspiring team at Eco Outdoor who have become great friends over the course of the project. We can't wait to see where you take your new brand into the future. Um, obviously, you're you're one of the most uh, acknowledged and, and talented architects in the country, and and it's an absolute privilege to be with you today. Uh, and and you know, I know that any business like people say, oh, you did a great job with the you know your new identity, but it's it's not just me. It's a there's a whole team of amazing people mm. uh, behind me, and and obviously you're representing yourself as a human being, but also your your business as well. Absolutely you continue to play play a major role in the future city which I kind of touched right. on on before and funny enough you, you I'm by chance I guess bought it, bought into one of your buildings in um alexandria Actina, yeah yeah the yeah. Clar- clarion I mean, yeah. And which has been amazing amazing um, uh, place to live so far i the Leaking and the defects, of
1: <laughs> but it's all the builder's fault. It's, right? it's all the builder's fault. <laughs> I've, I've never bought a new place before. It's an
0: apartment um, that um, my uh, younger kids, Louis and Gia, live with me in there. But it's like, uh, you think in kind of, buying a new place, everything's hundred percent sorted out. But it, it's it's really interesting, isn't it? Because like. We market properties all the time yeah. and, and developments, and you never think about the reality of actually living in there yeah. initially because you're, you're selling a dream. You're yeah, saying, like, yeah, This
1: absolutely. is going to be amazing. Yeah, and and also, I mean, I think um, if, you, if you live in Sydney and the last year and your apartment hasn't leaked you're a unicorn because there's been a lot of rain so it's been testing for us all I think yeah.
0: That was a good one, That's, yeah. that was a good yeah. one. Yeah. I, yeah. Live
1: in, I live in one of my own buildings and my, I'm on the body corporate oh my god. <laughs> Hell hath no fury as the uh, body corporate when you live in the same building as the one you in. anyway
0: oh. yeah. I was, I, I volunteered for the strata committee yeah. I, I, after 20 emails a day for three months, I had to resign. I yeah, just, yeah, like, yeah. I don't care what happens to the building anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, let's talk about your your life. How did you start off? Yeah. You obviously didn't... You weren't born an architect. Uh, uh, no,
1: I was born an architect. <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually ever remember wanting to do anything else, literally. don't really? remember ever wanting to do anything. Else. Um, my dad was a plumber originally and then became a school teacher when I was born. And... We we grew up in country Victoria and dad, my my mum went away and bought a piece of land for my dad for $2,700 for him to to build a house because dad Dad was a teacher, mum was a secretary. So she bought it without him knowing and so then he started building the house. He built the house for the next 50 years. It was still not finished but (laughs) we, um, we moved into the house when I was two I think and we had no floor, there were no floors in the house, it was just the walls and the windows and there was no floor and then dad just kept building the house as we lived in it. So I think it was like, I don't know, you kind of grow up around that, that becomes part of your blood and that's, c- I always wanted to be an architect, never wow. wanted to be anything else. I was lucky, I was lucky I think.
0: But did you know what an architect
1: was at that like no, age? No, I just used to draw plans and sketches and t- I suppose talk to my parents about what, it, what the kind of space was and I've always, I think I, did, I actually never thought it was particularly unique until I met a friend who thinks completely the opposite way. Um, I think in three dimensions. Like, I can see things in three dimensions, and lots of people can't do that, and I never knew that people couldn't do that. So I used to get quite frustrated with my brother. I'm like, how can you not understand that? Um,
0: Hang on. I don't think a lot of people understand that. Uh, just explain that. How do you, th- how do you see in three well,
1: dimensions? Well, it's like if you... Um, when I draw... like. I always find it really remarkable when I'm designing a house for somebody and it's under construction and I've had like 700 meetings and two models and lots of perspectives and sketches and you take someone into the house and they're like, oh my God, this is the owner. <laughs> like, oh my God, there's a double height void. And I'm like, yeah, there's a double height void. <laughs> we had four models and like 17 meetings about the double height void. <laughs> um, so I don't like that. To me, is really I find that astounding. And you know, like people, can't, like people don't think that way. And it's not that they're where it's a, there's a right or wrong. It's just difference. Like I don't do well with numbers. I'm that's not, not my thing. I tell all my clients that if they want to know what the budget of the house is, don't talk to me. It's not going to happen. Um, but I do think three-dimensional. Like I think three-dimensionally. I can see things in my mind three-dimensionally. I know what they're going to be like before they even I even draw them in a way.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. a superpower.
1: Maybe. It's fun. I mean, I enjoy it. It's good. Yeah. What,
0: are, what other things can you imagine? Like?
1: Not much. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I grew, up, I, look, I grew up in country Victoria, right? So I grew up in the middle of nowhere on a piece of land, the middle of nowhere where you had to walk everywhere and, uh, you know, like, I grew, small, very small country town with not a lot of people and two primary schools and one secondary school. And, like, it was very... I had, a, I had an idealistic life, but we weren't particularly... Um, exposed, yeah. Yeah. Like, I didn't. I, it was a white town. It was, everyone was white. There was no diversity to our town. Oh. Um, the one Chinese family owned the um, owned the pizza shop, and the one Italian family owned the Chinese shop, and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. <laughs> That's fantastic. Actually,
0: I Actually, had um, uh, Fred Holt on from Three X N, who you know, mm-hmm. and uh, he he grew up in I think Calgary somewhere somewhere middle like a country farm yeah. town too. And yeah. I just was fascinated how 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 you could come from that kind of environment and actually end up doing what you do today, which is yeah. modern, often large scale, yeah. um, very visionary. It's not...
1: I, I mean, I think like a lot of it is by accident too. Like, I mean, my greatest ambition in life when I was growing up was to live above the hairdressing shop in the main street. <laughs> in, the, in the Paris end of Ararat, you know. Um, that was kind of what that was that was the most that was the most activity in for anywhere, right? To so live in that bit on that, yeah. But you, I was super lucky. Like I met people, and people gave me an opportunity, and you know, I, I mean, I, I always wanted to leave, not because I didn't like it, because I wanted to see something else. So, as soon as I got the chance to go to university, I was out the door. Um,
0: and where was that?
1: I went to Melbourne Uni. Mm-hmm. Uh, moved to Melbourne. Uh, I was thinking about the other day, like lots of my. Friends, in retrospect, used to go back home every weekend or every month or at holidays. I never went back home. Uh, not because I didn't like it, not because I didn't love my family or anything. I was just, I was so, in, you know, um, excited by the city and what was going on. And I started working pretty much. I mean, I worked, I started work in a job when I was nine, I think. I worked in a...
0: You left home at nine? No, 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 oh, no, no. Sorry. I worked
1: at the local nursery when I was nine, planting, planting trees and mowing lawns. And then I worked at the supermarket when I was 13 and stacking shelves and then I left there and then I worked at David Jones in the handbag department for of four course. years or something you know I can sell a handbag <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> <laughs> I was the biggest Ferragamo seller in Victoria for a while but, um, um, so yes yeah, so I was constantly busy I suppose that's why I never kind of went back to Ararat but I do feel very I feel very connected to place and I still feel very connected to the landscape of Ararat like I I think I'm really interested in understanding more about what connection to country means in an, in an indigeneity sense, an indigenous sense, like what does that mean and what is that connection and how, in a similar way that I think I can see things three-dimensionally, I think Aboriginal people see things in a different way or can understand things in a different way that I can never understand. Um, so I'm quite, I'm quite interested in understanding that more about what that means and about what connection to country is and how that changes your life. and. Um, but I do feel very connected, and the reason, I suppose the reason I'm interested in that is I feel very connected to Ararat, I feel very connected to that landscape. If I go back there, I feel inc- completely, incredibly calm, I feel mm. like it's where I should be. Um, I still, I mean, I've lived in Sydney now, I've lived in Sydney for 22 years, i lived in Ararat only for 18 of my, of my life, and I still feel like I'm not from Sydney, I still feel like I'm from Ararat, um, which I th- always find odd that that's the case, but that's... I suppose Has your
0: family got a floor yet?
1: They've got a floor. Actually, a mum and dad just moved out of the house. So my, my dad turns 80 this week, my mum's turning 76 in a couple of weeks. Um, and the, But yeah, they have just moved out. We kind of got to a point where they lived on lots of, uh, not a lot of land, but a bit of land, and it was a lot of work, and I was like, Dad, if you don't move out of this house now, you will be literally moving you out and you'll probably have to go to a home at some point because you won't be able to cope with just mm. everything. So my brother owned a tiny little house in town, a really, it was a shitbox house, a little white brick 72 square metre house. Um, so my And he moved out of town with his wife and kids and my mum and dad bought the little house and we cut a little bit off and added a little bit to it and they moved into it. So they're in town now. And they're, oh, it's true. like revolutionaries, though, their life. They can walk to get a coffee. It's like amazing. Are, we,
0: are they in the Paris end?
1: <laughs> they're in the Paris end of all our right. right. life. <laughs> <laughs> they are. <laughs>
0: well, let's talk about that too in terms of, um, you know, where, where do you see architecture of the world going or cities? Or like, or, or, you, you obviously, you can see the future. So I want, we all oh, want to no, no, no. know no. In, in three dimension. But um, like, where do you see, are you... It's interesting when you when you work on projects. Some projects take years and years and yeah. years. I mean, yeah, some yeah. things we've done we started ten years ago, just yeah. launched now. Yeah, uh, even more like Central Park was like a twelve year project before it kind of finished. How far ahead do you think? Uh, you, and you, uh, you know, what are you motivated
1: by? It's a good question. What am I motivated by? Um, I, I enjoy working with people, so. I like, I like making things and I like working with people. So, there's kind of the two things that motivate me. I like projects which are complicated. Like, I don't like a straightforward project. If it's a straightforward project, I'm like, eh, I'm not so excited. Mm. Um, but I like complex projects. I like projects that have a bit of a problem or a challenge. I like projects which have a lot of conflict, actually. I like a lot of – I mean, I'd never tell a client this because I don't really want to work on a lot and of don't them. Don't start, no, but Ben. Don't start causing conflict. trouble. Correct. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, lots of neighbours where there's compl- conflict going on. You've got to sh- – People don't like change, right? Ch- general society doesn't like change. So, part of my job is to how, to you, how do you create an, uh, an avenue for people to accept change and embrace change and enjoy change. So, a lot of my job is uh, we've just finished a job in Newcastle which took 11 years, uh, and it's only the first stage of four stages, so it's like it's taking forever. But I did 56 community consultation meetings for that project. I didn't get spat on at that community consultation meeting. I have been spat oh on twice God. before at community consultation meetings. Um, and it's always by the oddest person. You're just like, oh, my God, that person just spat on me. That's weird. <laughs> um, um, it's not great. It was Ooh. a low point in my career, I must say. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the thing I like about it is that people generally are really passionate about it. Um, we, we presented the Newcastle project to a group, not one like this, it was a, actually an architectural group, so it's normally a, normally a, a family-loving group when you're presenting to architects, um, and actually I got severely heckled at the presentation when we were presenting the scheme, and it was from one of the professors of the University of Architecture. Well,
0: don't encourage these guys, because they're going to they're gonna, yeah, see no, it no. as an opportunity. I'm, I'm robust, that's right. Yeah. Um,
1: but then the project last week won the premier's prize the urban design prize and the multi-residential prize the institute of architects awards so mm-hmm. it's been really well accepted yeah so uh, and the people of no- the novacastrians actually love it so they're instagramming it they send us text messages about it they have actually sent us emails and rung us to say that they like it you know which is pretty unique so i enjoy the fact that people are passionate about their place and where they live and they're really interested in it there's nothing Worse in a way than doing a project where no one is interested, because when no, and that's kind of good and like, on the good and bad side, because generally people who are angry about something are passionate, but just maybe they're pushing their energy in the wrong way, or maybe you're doing something wrong that you need to work out from them and push it in the right way. You know, like so, that kind of. Pushback well, that's, is that's good.
0: interesting. I mean, what what what's in your makeup that makes you just persevere with that? Because other people will just go, you know, I, you're, yeah. all, you're all assholes. I can't deal with you. I think. Well, that's what I was saying. Yeah,
1: um, look, I'm a pleaser. I'm a pleaser of a person. I grew up... um, I came out when I was 30, so I was living in the closet for a very long period of my life. Um, And I think when you grow up gay in a small country town in remote Australia, you please everybody, right? You don't want to be seen, you don't want to be known, you don't want to upset anybody, you just want to be liked by everybody, because you just know as soon as you're not liked by anyone, you're being beat up by somebody. So you kind of learn... I think I learned that. It was kind of like in retrospect, oh, that was good. Uh, <laughs> the time, not so much fun. Um, but you learn to... Uh, I think a bit of that and a bit of the fact when you grow up in a small country town, you can't not be friends with everybody because there's not that many people to not... Like, if you're not friends with people, you have no friends, so you've got to be friends with everybody. So, in a way, the, the limited diversity you have in a small country town is kind of maximised because you actually have to be friends with everybody. So you have to work out how to get on with everybody and then adding to that the fact that I, you know, that I was um, gay, that you kind of then work out how to make everybody happy, which is not necessarily a good thing. I won't, wouldn't recommend it as a life choice but um, <laughs> to make people happy. But I think that helps in then finding what people's... What, what, what are people are interested in. So when you go to a community consultation meeting, how do you read the room? What's, you know, the way someone looks at you or the way they sit will tell you about what they're interested in talking about or how angry they are or how happy they are. So you get to, you kind of have to be very nimble in the way in which you to present to people and talk to people and what, you know, how mm. should you do that? So I think that um, that's kind of... Yeah, is that the question?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, but you're determined. You've you yeah. just have this kind of optimistic determination. Like, I it, I will it yeah. will be right. Is that
1: Yeah. I um like I think it's not that it will be right that we'll f- together will find what's right. Yeah. Uh I'm also I get really angry when people talk about um you know, work-life balance kind of thing. Uh-oh. Uh because I find that like I mean, I'm sure everybody has a different idea about work-life balances, yeah? And that's completely You just work, shy. right? Well, no, I, it's like no one sits around at the time of the Olympics and says, "Oh, that person swam 60 hours this week, they should have had a work-life balance. <laughs> Everyone goes, oh my God, excellent, you won the Olympics, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I, I get really angry when people say, oh, you're working too hard. It's like, no, 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 I'm not working too hard. I'm working exactly the way I want to work. If you want to work less, work less. I'm okay with that. But I want to work. Like, I really like what I do. I really love what I do. And I just, you know, I just don't see the problem, right? Now, of course, there are weeks where you go home and cry in the cupboard, yeah? And you're (laughs) like, let's not have that week again. But you, um, but it's a, you know, it's finding your own balance. You shouldn't, it's not about you living to everyone else's idea of what balance is. It's like finding your own balance and what you're interested in and how you want to work. And we have, Uh, We have 89 people or 95 people or something like that in the office. Everybody has a different way that they're successful and I, like, super support that because they, like, some people don't work that hard, really, uh, in the day, but when they do work, they're really bloody good at it. And some people are still learning how to be good at it and they have to work a lot more to get the same output. And they're in that kind of growth phase, and that's really good too. So it's like, how do you support people to do the things that they need to do for me? That's what I, that's what I kind of aim to do in the office. Like, how do I make their life um, fabulous, really?
0: That's amazing.
1: Help make their no, life. I no, mean,
0: but, yeah, I mean, obviously, there must be times when you, it, it, like, apart from c- crying in the closet, there'll be other times yeah. that you're just physically wrecked or not? Yeah, I it, mean... you're giving out so much all the time.
1: Yeah, there's, there's, I mean, my husband um, ran... Mike started two non-profit organisations in Australia. One called Career Trackers and one called Career Seekers. Uh, and so for ten years, when he started those, and I was wor- we were both working and we were both running very quickly, very, all the time. Um, there were times we'd come home Friday night and I'm like, "Please don't talk to me. I have no words left." <laughs> like just let's just watch each other, yeah. Um, but he retired. Watch each other. Well, you know, yeah. like <laughs> across the table. Like I oh, can't right. talk to you. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, you know what I mean. Uh, no, I, yeah, well, now I do. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> but you know, like, uh, you just yeah. So I mean, I think there, there are definitely times when you think I'm absolutely exhausted and I need some time off, and, and that's good to take time. Mike's very, very good at deter- and finding the times in the year, and he always books. He's a he's a planner, and I'm a he like. He's a long-term person, I'm a short-term person, so he'll have our holidays planned a year in advance, and I'm thinking, of, I literally wake up in the morning and think, oh, what have I got to do today? You know, so we're kind of, it's good from that point of view.
0: Yeah, I know, it sounds like a great um, combination. It's interesting too, I don't know if you guys, are you already interested in this guy, the fact that he's, <laughs> you came in thinking he's going to interview an architect? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and it's interesting, because you, you, you call yourself a context-based architect, so I, like, yeah. this kind of helps for me, puts it in, in context, but yeah. what do you mean by a context-based architect? Um,
1: it's not a, uh, for me, there's not a, like, a style or a one-size-fits-all or a, you, know, you always use a curve or you always use a white thing or something like that. I mean, there's lots of architects that works really well for, and I, think, and I really admire lots of their work. But for me, I'm, much, I'm really interested in the people and the place, so what is the place what does the place want to tell you? Like, when you go there, what do you feel and how do you feel and what's the colour and what's the light quality like? And and that and it's different in, in even different streets in Sydney. Like, some of them are darker and some of them are lighter and some of them are higher and some of them more wind. And so I like to think about the architecture responding um, to that and that there is difference in what we do, which makes it hard because every time you start a building, it's different to the one before, but uh, it's kind of a nice thing to try and find. Um, I think... I think probably the easiest way to talk about it is that I, th- I think architecture should be like a really beautiful woven piece of fabric. It's not the brooch that sits on the fabric. Yeah, so I don't, I don't believe in brooches, I believe mm. in just beautiful fabric. Yep. So if our buildings can be a part of that weave and support the buildings beside it and across from it and help to kind of pull a centre together to make it a better village, that's much more interesting to me than doing a building that everyone goes, oh, my God, that's, you know, that white building up on the corner. That's no. not what I want to do.
0: Well, it's interesting you talk about fabric and uh, I guess the Fabric Society and Fabric of Places. Obviously, these guys are...
1: Fabric amazing. makers. Yeah, they're, yeah <laughs> they're,
0: they're kind of providing incredible material. Yeah. That, like, how, how do you work out what you need and want? I mean, are they uh, hounding you every day saying, hey, Adam, we've got no. this new stone. Um, yeah. We'll give you... Uh, Whatever.
1: Yeah. No. I mean, a I bottle of
0: champagne, or yeah. you know, yeah, whatever. Yeah. What, what, what do they do? I want to hear. <laughs> I want to hear what their their moves. You know.
1: No. I mean, to be honest, when people ring me and say, "We want to come," you know, here's a bottle of champagne. I'm like, I'm not going to do that. Um, no, no. It's much more about for me <laughs> finding the right thing. That like, um, we'll often ring people and say, "We can't, We don't know what we want, but it's kind of this." And have you got something that you might be able to help us with? Or uh, a lot of it is about supply chain, where it comes from, how it got here what is it i mean we're definitely lovers of natural materials which is uh, a challenge for us because we don't we, we like natural materials but we also don't want to destroy the planet so it's like how do you balance those two things how do you find the balance of those two things uh, so at a kind of fundamental level in architecture how do you do less with uh, do more with less mm-hmm. how do you convince your clients not to demolish things and just repolish them and reuse them uh, but equally when you're doing then Obviously, we, I mean, I love making things, right? So I want to build buildings. So we have to choose materials. So it's about choosing the very best material for the right location that they're not going to have to rip up and they're not going to have to change uh, is fit for purpose and will be there for another 100 years. And uh, it's, it has kind of a classic sensibility to it where it's not fashionable. I mean, I think one of the things I hate about architecture is when these kind of fashions that kind of go through architecture and you're like, oh, that was done in 1919, that was done in 2001, and that was done, to, like trying to, to work against the idea of fashion so that it's just the, f- it's the right thing for that project or the person or the place. That's kind of what we look for. Mm. Um,
0: but Isn't that represent like a moment in time though? Does it by yeah. default become a trend or not?
1: Um, I think it's about a moment in time, but I don't think it's a trend. Because I think that a moment in time is about using the technology and the, uh, the information you have, it have at that point in time, and obviously things change. But I think a trend is when you're f- copying somebody else or following somebody else. Yeah. So I think it's important to try and... Uh, obviously, we're all influenced by everybody else. That's, that's an, an inevitable part of life, and it's a really lovely part of life. But it's, uh, for me, it's much more about using things in interesting ways than using things for the sake of using it. Which is, which is
0: perfectly kind of um, in line with um, Eco Outdoors' new positioning around Crafted with Wonder, yeah. um, which is about that passion of yeah. how, where is it from, how is it made, how might I use this in a, yeah. in a meaningful, adding value yeah. uh, way. But wh- where do you see, um, I mean, we talk about trends. I mean, they are always trends, right? Yeah. There's, there's, um, you're doing live podcasts is a new one. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, these guys are ahead of their time asking us to do this, but i uh, just thinking in terms of like, what, what do you see around the world, because you're obviously not just Sydney-focused, you're, you, you're aware yeah. of what's going on in the world, what, what do you see as kind of current trends or trends that might be coming in the future?
1: Uh, like, you know, not surprising, sustainability. Um, I mean, I think what we try to think about is globalism. So, uh, you know, global knowledge but acting in a local way. So how do we take the knowledge that happens in a global context but localise it so that we're not just... You know, it's really good to do a timber building and we're actually doing a timber building down in Hills, fully timber building, but it's not so great if that timber comes from Norway, like, which actually the one we're doing is. Oh, my (laughs)
0: God. Um, Hey, stop plugging your work as well.
1: No, no, no. It's just, it's like, how can you... How can you understand what's happening and use the technology that's happening on a global scale but do it in a way which then helps to support a local industry? Yeah, so if we if you're kind of an early adopter in a type of project, which say the timber building by Zarnis is down at um Barangaroo, hmm. there's one in Melbourne down at um Docklands. Um, is that of course, back that's I think it's by um Claire Design, the one I'm thinking of, it's the okay. library. Uh, the timber from that clearly is going to come from Europe because we've never done a timber before and we don't understand it and mm. we haven't got the capacity to do the fire engineering, or But there's a point where you kind of do that and then you have to try and help the local industry take off and that's, that's super important to us. Um, to to kind of use it, like where, uh, I, where I grew up in Country Victoria is right next door to um, Kraus Bricks. I don't know if you know Kraus Bricks, but Kraus Bricks. Clinton is a good friend of mine. So you know, when you when we're designing things, I'm like, if it's a specific thing, I'll be like, hey, Clinton, can you make me a green tile, like green kind of glazed brick tile thing? And he's like, sure, let's make it. I think. Um, but then there's other things where you go, actually, no, uh, you know, Clinton either can't do it or doesn't have the capacity, can't do that much. He's a small Manufacturer, and we have to find something you know more um, local, so uh, local to here. But wherever you can, I like. I think it's good to try and support your friends and buy things from people who you know. And it's a little bit like going to a restaurant where they know all of the um, the the people in agriculture industry who are who are growing Mm -hmm. their sheep or growing their beef and all that kind of stuff. It's so, like if you know the people, you can look, look to them in the eye and go, did this come from the right place and is it, is it sustainably yeah. sourced and are, are you treating the people who are pr- give, bringing it here in, with respect and dignity and all those kind of things? Um, as a segue, um, at one point in time, there were a lot of architects offshoring a lot of their documentation work, which to a certain extent is an inevitable part of society. It's cheaper to do it in Vietnam or Korea or whatever. Um, and it's kind of part of a globalisation, which is both good and bad. So you're, you're kind of helping raise the, the capacity of a third world nation to grow knowledge and uh, earn money and um, uh, get out of uh, uh, poverty. But at the same time, you're taking it offshore and actually are the people who are working there being treated well and blah, blah, blah. So we had that whole conflict in our office about how do we do this and how do we still keep up with the fact that we've got to have you know, better fees and it's got to be sharper and all that stuff. So one of our staff went and started uh, an office in Manila, which we own, Uh, and the benefit in that is because we know that actually they have good... uh, a good employment environment. They only work the same hours that we work and they get paid well and kind of... Those so, I think it is important to try and balance, like, the objective of saying, well, we want cheaper... kind saying, we want cheaper fees, <laughs> which they always say, um, and then the challenge of us saying, well, how do we do that in a, in a way which is um, responsible, I suppose. Mm. So, it's the same, I think, in materials. It's like, how do you... The, you know how do you have a material which is really high quality and comes from the right place and is at a at a price point which you thinks right? Uh, it's not about it being cheap. It's just about it being right. What it should be for. Mm. I think.
0: I, I reckon at the end we'll have more questions on materials because yeah. these guys are obsessed with it. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. We, did you walk here? Yeah. Okay. I cool. walk everywhere. So we yeah okay. Well, you just ruined my Pretty thing. Much. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, so a couple of weeks ago we chatted chat and you said, I walk everywhere, I walk yeah. to all the projects, yeah. and you don't work on projects outside of a walk, the walking area, or do you?
1: Well, I prefer to work on projects I can walk to, <laughs> but that's not obviously always acceptable. Um, try to. So we're doing some work in Newcastle, we're doing some work in Canberra, and we're doing work in um, New South Wales and Sydney. That's a long we don't, walk. It is a long walk. I catch the train to Newcastle, so that's pretty good. Um, Newcastle, I don't. I mean, Sydney, uh, Canberra, I don't catch the train to Canberra. Um, But I do like, I suppose the reason I like walking, if a a client comes to a site and it's within walking distance, I'm very excited about doing it, and I'm Mm. very going to try and grab it, because I like the immediacy of being able to walk to site and check something out, and something's going on, you go and check it out, or you want to see, you think you can't remember what the building exactly was doing next door, so you walk down and have a a look at it, and I think being on the, we've done some work internationally, and I actually did not enjoy it. One iota. It, for me personally, I just don't like getting on a plane to go to work. It's not my thing. No. Um, some people love it; they love the kind of anonymity of that. But I like knowing. I like a kind of routine where Tina, who makes my coffee, knows what my coffee is, and I have an account with her. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I don't like, you know, I like yeah, yeah, the routine.
0: Yeah. But it's interesting because it being you know, be able to walk to projects. I, I find when we're working on a development, um, the branding and stuff, it is it, like a hole in the ground. Uh, Initially, where it's a you know, you know, it's going to become something new. Is actually just walking, spending time day and night, weekends, just spending time walking around Mm -hmm. and getting a feel for the place and the people that live there now. Yeah, it really helps influence the the design. I guess you must find that as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We're doing Surrey Hills Village, um, aka Murder Mall, um, and That's my local supermarket, or was my local supermarket until I demolished it. Um, And (laughs) it's a big responsibility. My husband's like, you better not fuck this up. (laughs) um, But, you know, like, you know from being there for the last 15 years, you kind of know how it works and where people come from and where they're coming to and why they're going there and what happens and where the conflict occurs and where it doesn't and uh, where the bus... um, the bus shelter's too close to the building to so push the building back and, you know, the fact that, I don't know, if you've walked down Cleveland Street, about three years ago, the city of Sydney planted hedges along the edge of oh, Cleveland Street. Yeah. I don't know if anyone really knows that. This revolutionised Cleveland Street, right? Because as a pedestrian, suddenly there's some green there and Posh. secondly, you're away from a car that is, like, travelling at 60 kilometres no. an hour. And even though they're gonna, they could crash, obviously, through the, the hedge, There is a sen- there is a greater sense of... Uh, security about that. It's kind of in your head. Mm. But those little observations, I think, are important, like the fact that uh, Burke Street, Surrey Hills, you know, the big trees. Bourke Street, Surrey Hills used to be the way out to the airport. Crown Street, Surrey Hills used to be the way in from the airport. Mm. Burke Street, Surrey Hills has amazing street trees because yeah. in 1956, when the Queen came to the Olympics, she parked the boat at Mrs Macquarie's chair. She got in a car and they drove her to the airport to fly to Melbourne and they planted the plane trees along Burke Street to make the journey better. Yeah. Wow. And it's a beautiful street now, right? Uh, they didn't do it on Crown Street, so it doesn't have the same scale of trees. When you get to Cleveland Street, the crossing of Cleveland and um, Burke Street, the big plane trees, uh, even though Uh, Cleveland Street's the same width, it's the same density, the same number of cars going down on every other part of Cleveland Street. It's suddenly quieter there because the scale of those trees comes into the intersection, and suddenly instead of it being a straight road, it's a cross section, and there's some kind of engagement with the two roads and pedestrians. And the pub works on that corner, and it doesn't work on any other corner on Cleveland Street. So those little things for me are really important when you're thinking about what you do in Murder Mall because. Um, How do you reposition it and give it some of that generosity of thinking that happens, sometimes haphazardly, in the case of the Queen's Trees? Mm. Um, But that's kind of the bit about knowing the place, Mm. whereas if I had flown in here from, I don't know, US and wanted to design a building here, you'd never know that. you just see the piece of land as a piece of land as opposed to a part of the fabric of the city.
0: You talk passionately about nature and that, I mean is that obviously a vital part in, in how we? Live and how we yeah, should. Yeah, I live. mean,
1: you've all seen my apartment. Um, the apartment we did was. What, right. Did
0: you go? Did you have a party there or something?
1: Well, no, it's been in every marketing brochure of yours oh, for a while. Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I thought I missed out on something. No, though.
1: no, it's um, you know, we did that apartment because every developer said to me, "There is no, you cannot put a garden in an apartment." And I was like, "Come on, let's do it in a garden apartment. Like, you can't do it. You can't do it. No one wants to do it. No one wants to buy it. No one will pay enough. And also, it'll leak. Um, so but I can it, see
0: it in 3D. Correct, I, I can <laughs> see this,
1: right? So we built it and suddenly every developer wants a garden, a apartment with a garden. Yeah. Like literally, we won like 12 jobs over just doing that one apartment because it has a garden in it and because it has this good indoor-outdoor feeling. So... But, what, you know, it's a big apartment for us. It's 350 square metres of garden and 190 square metres of house, and it's me and Mike and a dog, little Eric, very small Eric. Um, and so we found we were spending... 80 Watch, per- watching each other. Well, watching, Well, no, we couldn't find <laughs> each other, actually. No, um, right. we're spending 80% of our time in 20% of the house. So we're like, actually, why don't we... We're just building a new house around the corner at the moment. So can we design a house where we use 80% of the house 80% of the time, like change, change it up, and it's a 27 square metre footprint house. Um, but the reason I was talking about that is both of them have roof gardens. Mm. So both of them have a roof garden. Yeah. And I was up on the house that's just about to finish um, today because the garden's being lifted up on Monday, wow. Tuesday. And from that roof garden, we can see another roof garden that we did as an office, which is one block over on Favreau Street. And so that makes me happy. Yeah. Because yeah? I'm like, oh, we did that roof garden and we did that roof garden and you can see the birds flying from one to the other. And they're like, oh, that's nice. Like that just makes me feel happy. Um, that's a good, that's a nice. I mean, that's one of the things in my job. I'm like, that's what I get. I'm grateful for that. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: yeah.
0: How how can people make themselves feel happy? that that can't afford that type of... Because obviously people listening in from all over the world are Mm -hmm. in different situations. Not everybody is a very wealthy architect that has an amazing penthouse.
1: Um, I was talking to a client today uh, about the scope of our work. Yeah, so we do these amazing... Like, we're doing an apartment project. Um, I can't tell you exactly where it is yet, but the the penthouse is 38.7 million, right? So it's one of six apartments in the... I think the cheapest is $18.5 Like, they're crazy. They're, I mean, they're amazingly beautiful, but they're crazy. Um, so are you moving, Ben? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we're also doing a social housing projects in... Um, we're doing three social housing projects, actually, at the moment. Uh, we're doing one in Piemont and we're doing mm-hmm. one in, um, in, uh, out at Macquarie Park. And they have roof gardens as well, right? Mm. So it's not about... It's not like you can't do it. It's just you do it in a different way. So the roof garden in the, in the social housing project is far more straightforward. It's a, it's a kind of more efficient way of designing a roof garden and it doesn't require as much water. Yeah? It's not like a, it, it does things in a different way. Uh, whereas the penthouses are much, much more lush and it's all about scale and volume. And, I mean, I, th- I think the big thing in Sydney that people who have houses don't recognise quite yet is that luxury is a garden. Yeah, Don't build a big house. Build a small house and build a big garden. That is absolute luxury. Mm. So for the social housing projects we do, we really try to spend a lot of time with really good landscape architects mm. and try to get some gardens. And wherever it is, it might be ground, it might be on balconies, it might be on the rooftop, but as, m- as much as we can, we try to do it. And actually, the good thing is um, local government areas like the City of City are starting to mandate some of that mm. stuff. So they're yeah. saying, well, you've got to have a canopy cover of X amount, and yeah. so it's good.
0: And how much of that garden is about growing your own, you know, vegetables and... and yeah, so for like uh, some
1: people it's a lot. So in the social housing projects, yes. Um, we, have a gar- we have a 350 square metres of garden and a drum this big to put some spice, um, herbs in. Um, I'm not great at gardening. But uh, I think it's depending on the people, you know. So mm. the, the challenge is to, dry- to design a garden on a roof that can accommodate different people's n- wants and needs. And mm. it's hard, sometimes hard on a roof because you can't... Can't just dig, you know, yeah, no, you've got to be a bit careful. Uh, so, yeah, it's a bit of a balance. Yeah. Mm.
0: Um, you've been at SGB for more than 25 years, mm-hmm. which is a, a very long time. Um, and now, obviously, you're, the o- you're an owner and you're a director. Mm-hmm. But I mean, what was it like tr- transitioning? Well, how did you start at SGB? Because you started in a yeah. more junior position. I right?
1: was a student in, I started as a student at SGB in 1994 and I kid you not, I think that the Helen Sinman um, employed me, and I kid you not, I think she employed me because the last student's name was Adam, right? And she was like, this will be very easy for my husband to remember. <laughs> So I started as a student and the first day, I think the first three days, uh, my job, Alfred De Bruyne, if, you, if you're from Melbourne you'll know Alfred, he's an amazing designer. He had me sharpening pencils for three days and I think after I sharpened pencils for three days he thought, okay, he's going to stay. So He's um, a keeper. He's a keeper. Yeah. I think I spent the next 12 months doing shadow diagrams for projects, so it was very glamorous work. And then... Um, I just, I was, like, SJB have been incredibly, incre- uh, Simon and Justin Bialik, so uh, Michael, Alan and Charles, were incredibly generous to me. They, um, you know, I didn't come from a private school background, I came from a very working-class background and they provided an opportunity and um, it was really incredibly generous of them to do that and to give me the opportunity to, you know, buy into the business. And then we moved to Sydney, I moved to Sydney by accident. Well, we did the competition for the St Margaret's Hospital up in Surrey Hills. Oh, yeah. Um, I was a student in the office, I think they kind of thought that we're not going to win it and we don't have much chance but like Adam do the competition. Uh, We did the competition, we kind of won the competition Uh, so I came to Sydney to hand it over to someone else and I remember it was like in February and it was really bad weather in Melbourne and I came up and it was one of those absolutely cracking Sydney days. I was on top of uh, the uh, the old uh, hospital looking out across Surrey Hills. And I was like, I am never going back to Melbourne, like this is amazing. (laughs) Um, So 3 weeks has turned into 22 years. Um, I became a partner a year after that, so Charles asked me if I'd become a partner and honestly at the time I didn't really know what that meant. I said, oh okay, sure, let's do that, that'll be fun. Um, The naivety was fantastic because I probably, if I hadn't known what it meant to own a business and have mm. responsibilities to staff and all of that kind of stuff, I probably would have said, please no. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so it was really good. But changing, it was very... Hu- actually, in retrospect, it was quite hard. I remember the first... One of the most challenging moments was I... We were a small group. There was six or eight of us in the office and on a Thursday afternoon or a Friday morning, one of my friends at the office said to me, oh, um, I'll see you at Cleona's on Sunday, on Saturday, for the party. And I was like, what party? And they are like... Oh shit! You didn't get invited, and I was like, "Oh shit! I didn't get invited." And okay. It was that moment where I realised that I was no longer—I wasn't part of the pack, I suppose—and that, that oh. there was a separation distance. Um, and that—that that at the time, like, broke my heart actually, because I was like, "I was like, oh I was my like God. 24 Your or something." Tissues? Um, yeah. yeah, but. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it was. That's a, tough. It's a, I mean, it's, was it's that like, deliberate or was it a mistake? No, no, no. It was totally deliberate. I was their boss. Wow. I was their boss then. Like, and it's really hard when well, you're the same that. age and you're their that. boss, and someone, or it's even someone's older than you. It's hard. You're, you're
0: you know, missing like, out all kinds of amazing parties, Ben. You know, <laughs> <you> know that. <laughs> no, you don't no, even no. know they're going on.
1: Yeah, but uh, yeah. Other yeah. than that, it was smooth. I mean, SJ and B are amazing business people. They taught me a lot about how to run a business and what that means. And yeah. we have strong. We've never borrowed money ever in our lives as a business. We don't owe anyone money. We've always had really great staff and we have a really good culture. So it's, yeah, we're lucky.
0: It's it's incredible, isn't it? The, I mean, I I found that really hard. I remember, um, you know, back in London when I started my business, I kind of you're instantly your business because you got a name on the door and a computer and then you're like, I got no work. And then when I started getting work, I had to, I was got so much work, so much work that I had to hire the next person, but I didn't know how to delegate yeah. to that person yeah and then i hired another one and i you know didn't know how to delegate to them so i was still the busiest person in the building mm-hmm. well spare room mm-hmm. um <laughs> but it's interesting how being good at something like design or architecture or whatever it is that you might do doesn't necessarily doesn't mean you're good at everything yeah and, and and when you're starting out in a business there's a there's kind of this sometimes this feeling you've got to be good at everything mm-hmm. and um again part of this podcast is actually learning from other people who've found their way through uh, through their life to help them make it work because I always called on all kinds of experts and people who run businesses before of scale uh, we're not, as a, you know, you're how many people? 100 people or so? Yeah, 100 like? people yeah. There's a lot of people yeah. and a, a really amazing community yeah. that you guys have built and, and grown and you need to maintain and, yeah. and um, I guess you do workshops like this as well with yeah. your team Yeah, I mean I think the um, thing
1: we learned most after making you make lots of mistakes I've been through a couple yeah. of GFCs and Now the pandemic. Um, But I think the thing I've learned the most is about just uh, honesty, clarity and and clearness of communication with everybody. And Mm. and tell people whatever you can tell them, whenever you can tell them, as soon as you can tell them kind of thing. I think that's, we got through the pandemic in that way and we're just really, I mean, we've had some really crappy times as a business. Like I remember when we went through the GFC and that was like, that was Like terrible. heartbreaking. That was heartbreaking. We went, we, uh, we have a really, we have a tradition of having a big, I mean everyone, has a big Christmas lunch uh, in the office and we usually go to a project we've done and the year the GFC sit, we had a trestle table and eight people in our lobby with takeaway chickens from Coles. Like honestly, that's how bad it was. Um, and I remember that year at our AGM, my business partner at the time, John and I, we hi- we were so excited <laughs> because we made $4.80, I think, profit over the year. And we were like, oh, my God, that's the best result ever. <laughs> you know, like, we didn't lose any money. Like, uh, and I think our financial controller, who's still with us, she's like, that is the most excited I've ever seen you. And I'm like, I was the most relieved you've ever seen me. Um, but, you know, like, you learn... When we, when we went through that and we had to uh, make some people redundant, you learned how to, through the action of doing it badly, you learn how to do it well. You know, like, you learned mm. how to communicate properly and deal with compassion and all those kind of things. So um, there's nothing like a bit of time, but it is good to... I mean, I do always ring friends to and I'm like, okay, I'm in this sticky situation. How do I deal with that? Or, you yeah. know, I'm de- detailing this wall and I've never done that before. Can Have you got a detail for that? So I think that's always... People are m- far more generous to you than you ever give them credit for, I think, when you... Yeah, I
0: think that's a really important thing is don't be uh, shy or afraid to ask for help. Yeah. You know, it's also, I find, like, going into meetings... I, I find going into meetings and new opportunities, some people think this is stupid, but I feel that the least I know about it, the better.
1: Yeah.
0: And because I don't want to go in and be an expert and have it all sort out, all worked out and go yeah. and go, right, this is what you got to do. Some yeah. people do that. I, yeah. I can't do that because I need to dig deep, spend some time with it, a bit like walking around an area. Mm. Get to know, you know, the organization, the people, how they think, how they work, what their ambitions are, mm. uh, their culture and all that. And then how, how do we – and by doing that, that observation and kind of uh, – that research, you're going kind to of get a better, a much better, richer outcome. Then you feel more confident about that. Uh, that. I also and think,
1: that, you know, it's also about surrounding yourself with partners who are excellent at what they do, you know, yeah. like you guys. You know, like yeah. It's like finding the collaborators who you really love working with. There's nothing better than working with people who you love working with. So, like, whether that's engineers or suppliers or interior designers or graphic designers or whoever it is, but, like, you can build a relationship... Other graphic designers? With you. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs>
0: Yeah. yeah, um, what do you do outside of your outside of work? You sound like a workaholic, by the way. But a what? A little what bit. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I run a <laughs> lot. But you love it, right? I run a lot. Oh, I you run. I ride a bike. You know, like, okay.
1: Yeah, so I do a lot of fitness. read a lot. I travel a lot. Like I, I, I used to play a lot of music when I was younger. i oh, yes. literally just started playing again. So. I'm so
0: you were? You said that you're gonna? Be, you could have been a musician, or yeah, you are was, a musician. I but was. I
1: playing. Well, no, I'm really not anymore. I played a lot of music until I played brass music, trombone, um, and just before I moved to Sydney, I toured Japan for two weeks playing and it was amazing, I had an amazing, amazing time in my life, and then wow. I came back to si- to Melbourne and that's when we won the competition and, Ch- and Charles said, come to Sydney for a couple of weeks, and I literally put my trombone in its case and I haven't touched it for 22 years, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> which was like a bit confronting in a way. Um, but you, but the, he's brought it
0: here tonight, guys, he's going to yeah, play Yeah, I'm going to play, play, a play a for you
1: tonight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um,
0: if only I'd known, yeah, damn it. it.
1: But uh, the city have just opened their new uh, rehearsal space in um, Pitt Street, uh, which is a ah. fully-made wow. facility specifically for rehearsing loud instruments Yeah, wow. So you can book them out and it's like eight bucks for an hour or something, and so I'm starting to do that, which is really nice. It's that's amazing, actually, to do that.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. That, that's recent, that place. Yeah,
1: it's the, old, it's, the, it's the big tower in the city, which is the See, city of six stories of it.
0: Sydney is getting better and better, I tell you.
1: Yeah, it's an amazing city. We're lucky to live here, I think. We're lucky to live in a place where people care about it. Um, I mean, all the, I mean, look, honestly, we're lucky to live in Australia, to be honest. Um, yeah, we're all, uh, we're all from
0: somewhere else, aren't we? Correct. Um, I mean, Ben's obviously from Melbourne, too. <laughs> I always ask this question, and you, don't just, you know, you have to answer it how you feel. And it's not, you don't have to say, yes, I have. Mm. So have you designed your life?
1: Uh, no, absolutely not. <laughs> okay, that's really frustrating. But anyways... <laughs> no, no, I mean, I think... i was thinking. No, I'm I have... Um, it's, it's kind of what you determine as being design your life, yeah? Like, what is it? Do is you sit down every year and decide this is... Or sit down at the start and go, this is what I'm going to do for the next 12 months. I don't find that particularly helpful, personally. Your, your like partner does. Mike does a lot of that. Yeah. Mike is a designer of his life. Like, yeah. he's very determined about what it is he wants to do and how he wants to do it and how he's going to get there, yeah? yeah? I'm much more opportunistic. I like to see where the day takes me and, like... Who comes along my path, and I think sometimes if you over-design things, you can. You can the act of designing it means you design something out of it. Mm-hmm. So there's a very fine balance about saying, "I this is what I'd like. This is what I'd like to go, but actually, if there's a better path on the way, I might take that one as well." So it's that whole thing about not closing off yourself to opportunities, yeah. but also not being so like blind that you're kind of just walking around in circles the whole time. Like that doesn't help anybody. But um, yeah, I think it's much more about p- it's much more about relationships for me than saying I want to I want that. Yeah. It's more for me about saying I want to enjoy the process of getting there.
0: It's interesting you say that because I mean I, I sometimes um, you know I'm fortunate enough to do talks in places and the people afterwards say to me it's okay for you you do nice work mm. or you do yeah. ni- you have great clients <laughs> yeah. You're going well yeah. they're all clients. I mean yeah. all is, it's what you make of it isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Life's life's like that. I believe like you you have a choice. You have choices every yeah, day. Yeah, totally. And and. Either you listen listen to other people's advice or you just go with the flow or what's really important is obviously your intuition, your inner voice that helps guide you. Um, and no client well. wants
1: to do a bad job. I mean, I think that's really odd that people think, oh, you've got good clients. It's like every client yeah. can be a good client. Like, yeah, yeah. They, don't wanna, they don't come to you and say, I want to do a crappy job. No. Like, they come to you and say, I want to do a really great job. So it's like, OK, well, let's find the really great in what it is that you want to do really great. And, so, you know, if that doesn't align with what we want to do, well, then maybe we're not good together. But it doesn't mean they're a bad client and we're, or we're a bad architect. It just means we're maybe not aligned. When we actually, one of the things I do with houses, because they, can be really stressful and traumatic for people, designing a house. I um, have this rule that we uh, charge a client a small amount of money to do a small amount of work for their house. and we, After they brief us, we go to site, they brief us, and then I do some drawings about what I think, where I think the house should go, where I think it could go for them. And if at the end of that they say, that's, ex- that's amazing, we really want to do it, we'll do the house with them. But if they get to the end of that and they're like, yeah, I'm not so sure, I'm like, okay, I know exactly now who you should go and work with and I'll find them another architect who I know, right? Because it's not, you don't want to spend the next three years of your life hating me <laughs> as, a, as a client. Is that, a bit, of, is that a bit of a
0: tanty or what is that? No,
1: no, no, no. It's really open <laughs> and I tell, them, I tell the clients that. I'm like, like, I want you to love doing your house. I don't want you to get yeah. in a position where you, where you hate the house. Like that's just, that's no good for anybody. Yeah. So it is it's important. They, they want to do a good job. They want to have a great house and they can have a great house. It just yeah. can be with somebody else and that's okay.
0: Yeah. I guess that what you find is that people go through different phases themselves in life. Sometimes yeah. they're, you know, build, do, building something, making something is friggin' stressful. Yeah. I mean, I've got a little tiny shack like you described to your parents had. Yeah, <laughs> 70 square meters, I think it is. And it's got Scala flooring. It's going to be put in, which I'm really excited about. I paid. Don't, don't worry, I didn't get it for <laughs> I did pay. It came all shattered, though. I don't know if that's meant to be that way. But it, <laughs> um, the poor guy. I was actually got a little camera at the house, and I was watching him back here in Sydney, at St. Clairville. I watched him carrying one piece at a time out of eight oh God. crates. Um, it was... Poor guy. Anyways, it's all up there now. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, yeah. I mean, people are going through life yeah. Crisis, good times and bad. And building a house, making something is—you've you, done it so many times. You're, you're a pro, right? So you know it's still stressful. It, it'll eventually be done. Yeah. But a lot of people who are first-time buyers or makers or commissioning mm. architecture or, or building something—it's it, it, phenomenally, it, yeah, mm. its unknown territory, right? Yeah.
1: And, and it's a big, ex- a big investment
0: and big commitment I think of people, you know, well, trust. Trusting. Genius. I think
1: people think it's um, everything needs to be perfect. Like they think, oh, it's got to be perfect. This has got to be exactly the way it's drawn, and it's like, no, 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 a drawing is not a house, a drawing is a diagram to help us build a house, and if it changes in the process of the diagram to the house, that's okay, we've just got to do it all together, yeah? So, um, so yeah, it can be really stressful. It's, r- it's still really stressful for me, like, you know, mm-hmm. a husband um, is not an architect, so Mike get stressed out by things that I just don't get stressed out by, like I just know, no, don't get stressed out about that. But it's the worst thing to say to somebody, just don't worry about that, trust me, it'll be fine. That gets them way more aggravated than not, yeah? So you just got to kind of uh, share a bit of their frustration and try to help them work through it. But oh.
0: darling, when are we going to have our windows? Correct. <laughs> Correct. <Yeah. laughs>
1: Why are they still leaking? <laughs> we'll fix it. Yeah, okay. It happens.
0: I just want to say thank you, Adam.
1: Thank you
0: uh, it's been such a privilege to interview you in front of everybody i hope you guys have all enjoyed that let's give him a round of applause
1: thank you, thank
0: you. okay that's enough uh, <laughs> thank every one of you for staying here and coming to this thank you again ben and your team for inviting us to this it's been a real privilege and uh, really nice to uh share this conversation in a live environment so 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 cool good luck with your new brand good luck with the, new, the year ahead um, focus on helping each other through it as well make sure you understand remember that we're all human beings trying to do our best not all of us know how to do it the best way and we're all here to support each other Anyone who wants to reach out to me at any time as well, um, don't bother. No, uh, get, <laughs> connect with me if you need any help, any coaching, or anything like that. I'm, I'm really help. I'm really love helping people. So uh, yeah, there you go. Awesome. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for listening in to the special life episode with the brilliant SJB director and architect Adam Haddow to launch the Eco Outdoors new brand tune to the next episode where we'll be jumping back into the fiddish series when I will speak with David Ritter, the CEO of Greenpeace Australia Pacific. Thanks for listening to this episode of Design Your Life. If you'd like to find out more about how you can design your life, head to the website at designyourlife.com.au. If you found this episode inspiring, please don't forget to review and subscribe. If you have any ideas or like to get in touch, we would love to hear from you. Send us an email at hello at frostcollective.com.au.